Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flamed, flames, flames on the side of my face. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren. Who is this guy? Stuntman Mike. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? We are the knights who say... No, not the knights who say... The same! Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. But I know you don't want to be here forever. You know, I got things I want to do in my life. Wayne. You got red on you. Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bomb in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. And he will bind them with ancient logics. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table, and, uh, well, less so the case this time, as we are in uh, Studio D uh, Squared, or D... Um, to the second power. I'm not sure what we're doing here. Yeah, whatever. It's Dalton's place this time. And uh, we're going to be looking at a little film called Monty Python and the Holy Grail, um, brought to you by the Python comedy troupe. But before we get into all of that, we need to do some introductions. To the extreme left, ma'am, if you would. As the horrendous black beast lunge forward, escape for Arthur and his knights seem hopeless, when suddenly the animator suffered a fatal heart attack. <laughs> the cartoon peril was no more. Quest you, for the Holy Gale could continue. Thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. To the uh, less extreme left, if you would, sir. The Lady of the Lake, her arm clad in the purest shimmering Samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur Gordon, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I am your host. Just because some watery tart throws a sword at you doesn't make you a king. I'm just yeah. I mean, or a podcaster. Yeah, if some watery bent chucked a scimitar at me (laughs) and I proclaim myself king of the podcast, they'd throw me in the loony bin. This old man over here threw a mic at me and told me to go for it. So here we are. There you go. Well, to the right, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I have huge tracts of land. (laughs) (laughs) Where are they? (laughs) Alrighty then. Uh, My name is Dustin Sells, but some call me Tim. Moving right along, uh, we are going to be obviously (laughs) doing a lot of quoting as we uh, work our way through uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, one of the most quotable films of all time. We will begin, dear listener, by warning you that this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. There will be spoilers, although I'm not even sure how that term applies at this point. Um, But we will uh, do a very quick synopsis and our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, and then we will explain uh, the secrets of uh, the quest for the Holy Grail, and it turns out that it brings Sean Connery back to life, but it never can cross the seal. But we'll get to that A little while later. Um, Let's begin with our quick reviews, though. After a a synopsis from the voice of the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon 
if you would, sir. King Arthur and his knights embark on a low-budget search for the Grail, encountering many very silly obstacles. Really? That's it? That's true enough. Very, I mean, it's true, but... Like, one sentence for all of that. Strangely, Camelot is one of the silly obstacles because it is a very silly place. We, sh- we shouldn't. Thought, right. Not yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's begin with our quick uh, thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Maybe a thing or two that works uh, or doesn't work about the movie. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? I mean, it's a comedy classic for a reason. It's it's an endlessly funny movie. I, I wonder if it's as funny for first viewing as it is upon a hundredth viewing. I, I recall the first time I watched it, though, being very amused. I was also 14 years old, so it didn't take a lot to make me laugh. But I just think this movie's endlessly valuable, and I'm so glad we finally got a chance to, to watch it for this show. Because, you know, we don't do comedies very often, but when we do, I think we try to go out of our way to, to, to do comedies with something of a reputation. And, and man, I, I, again, could not be more thrilled. It's so funny. I, I will admit... Uh, I feel like it loses steam the longer it goes on, because um, the first probably half hour of it is so frantically paced. I mean, there's really very little plot to this movie uh, till they go on the quest for the Grail, and even then, there's not very much plot. It's just a series of longer non-sequiturs than we were getting before, uh, and that's what this movie is, is just a bunch of bits strung together delightfully, uh, but it's so weird and wacky, and really, I think, kind of foreshadows trends in comedy that we see now with, you know, guys like Tim and Eric and, you know, this this uh, movement for anti-comedy, but also this, you know, very meta-comedy that we get, you know, from the likes of Dan Harmon with Community and uh, Rick and Morty. I, I think all of, you know, this, these modern comedy trends, they have, they can trace their roots back to Monty Python and the Holy Grail because there's there's a lot of fourth wall breaking. There's a lot of weird, you know, surreal diversions and digressions, but... uh you know, I think that's what makes this film so valuable and holds up, you know, to this day. It's not just a straightforward comedy. It's it's definitely a very unique um, and insanely bizarre and delightful, uh, unique creation of its own. Well, thank you very much. I Mid- give it nine icky, 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 dang, boom, out of a possible 13. Very good. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what say you in your thumbs up, thumbs down review? This was my pick, and I it took me a while to find out what I was going to do for favorite films December as a Christmas gift to myself. And I actually haven't seen this movie in probably five years, and I can't believe it's been that long, but the last time I saw it was in high school. And I think we watched it so much in high school that I forgot why it was funny and why we quote it and why it's everything that Dalton has already elaborated upon the pacing and the franticness of it and the sketch comedy, but kind of tied together with all the same characters, but they're all sketches and everything that makes it such a great film. I kind of lost that. And so after selecting it, I was like, God, is it, is the magic going to come back? And I am so happy to report listener that it came back full force and with some added bonus. Cause for starters, we watched Dalton's DVD, which had some extra scenes in it that I had never seen before in my life. Like the little, the dentist pre-movie at the beginning of it, I had never seen that before. And there were some deleted scenes that built onto the get on with it that I hadn't seen inside the movie. Um, yeah, my DVD's committed. It's not just a string of pussy jokes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh 
Right. Um, anyway, um, so that was one thing. And it'll come back to me, I promise. I'll just keep talking. It'll come back. Okay, anyway, so another thing that really struck me is the amount of humor. I got it. The amount of humor that I understand now that I'm more of an adult person because before the peasant scene with the, you know, author, what is it? The Sindo something. Anarcho syndicalist collective. Thank you. I was going to say commune, but the, the chief executive of the week, I, I hated that scene when I was a kid and cause I, I probably saw this movie first when I was like 10 years old and yeah, of course I didn't get any of the, <laughs> the castle anthrax scene at all, but, um, I just was like, Oh, get the scene over. But now it's hilarious, especially considering, um, my field of study, but let's, I, I mean, yes, he is right. Dalton is right about the losing of steam. I always get so dissatisfied with that ending. Like every single time I think it ends, I I think it ends a different way and it never does. Like right after we get to the rabbit, it just kind of just kind of nosedives. Like we didn't really know how to end this. So we're going to end it. Post Holy Hand Grenade, I really, I love that ending. I I think that ending is brilliant. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I acknowledge Post Holy Hand Grenade, I mean, it's a long stretch just kind of being like, uh, board yeah i mean and while i was enjoying myself it wasn't the same level of quote frantic enjoyment as the first part of the movie it's different flavors of enjoyment um i would give it nine african swallows out of ten laden or unladen uh calculate the airspeed velocity of those and we'll see okay well thank you very much miss bohannon mr arthur gordon what say you I think I'm just going to echo the rest of the round table here. Um, this is a classic uh, film that is aged like a fine wine. And also like a fine wine, uh, the more that you indulge in it, the more you enjoy it. And especially if you share it with friends because you can all uh, gather together and have a good time. The writing and delivery is spot on. The deadpan works. The sight gags work. The slapstick works. This, this movie uses almost every type of comedy form mm-hmm. and does it masterfully. Um, this is a movie, uh, much like our captain here, that is just shy of 40, and it is still just moving right along. Boom. And so I, uh, I can't say anything uh, very bad about it. I will, well, I will agree about the sluggishness of it. I think it does kind of uh, wane and points. And I think it's kind of similar to what we said about the Lego movie or what Dalton said about the Lego movie in that it just hits you up front so quick and so fast that you just kind of lose this pace in the middle. But uh, other than that, I, I can't really complain. I think it's hilarious, endlessly quotable comedy classic. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What I would say in terms – oh, did you want to give it a rating, dear sir? Oh, yes, I did. I want to give it um, – I want to give it four burnt down, fallen over castles into swamps out of five. Very well said, Mr. Gordon. Very well said. It was the strongest castle. That 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 next castle. Stayed up. <laughs> Woo. The strongest castle in all the <laughs> I want to sing. I want to sing. I just a certain He's here special something. And the devolution begins. Stop that, stop that. I, I don't want to marry her. And doesn't end. The father. It doesn't end ever. <laughs> what I would like to say in review is uh, echoing some of the same things uh, that my dear co-hosts have said quite wisely. I will simply say this um, just for brevity's sake is that this film is um, one of the ultimate examples in great communal watching. 
that um, this film is much more fun in groups than by yourself. And uh, Arthur made a uh, wine uh, comment there, and I think there's something to that as well. Um, and that, you know, you'll laugh, you know, you'll, and really, I don't know that you laugh out loud so often with the film as much as you are just generally amused the whole time. There, there's definitely going to be some out loud chuckling that's going to happen and out loud uh, laughter um, as, again, on, on repeat viewings when you are familiar with the joke or on first time viewings when you're just sort of shocked at the randomness of it all, but um, I think really the, the the great fun is that you're with a group of people who are enjoying the film together, and so it does um, it's sort of a community building kind of film, really, uh, in a lot of ways and so that is, uh, I think, something very strong and superior, because there's a lot of other films that are great, that uh, you don't really want to watch in a group, that you really don't want to have kind of surrounded with conversation and sort of, um, you know um, Loud laughter and uh, discussion. Um, so you know, I, I watched recently The Departed again uh, this week, which is not a pair I would recommend with Monty <laughs> Python and the best Holy Grail. double feature or better double. Okay, just stop. I'll stop. Sorry, greater greatest. Right? Yeah, I want. want <laughs> I was gonna go best or better, or better or bestest. Best I don't know. Bestest. I'm just. I'm just dumb. Keep going. <laughs> She's a witch. <laughs> Uh, you know, if she um, weighs as much as a duck, we'll know. <laughs> what? <laughs> Zoot! Dingo! We, we build a bridge out of her? <laughs> Very well, what else can you use to build a bridge? Very small rocks. Uh, <laughs> very, very, very small. The exact. <laughs> he says. <he's> <laughs> what else floats in water? Uh, very small rocks. It does the opposite of float. <laughs> the exact opposite. Oh shoot! It's so damn. Well, funny. the fact that she like actually weighs less than a duck. Well, she weighs. She turns out to be a witch, which is the, probably the best punchline. Yeah. Ever. She's like, well, shit. <laughs> But um, as I was saying with The Departed, uh, you know, you, you, you want to concentrate. You don't really want a lot of conversation. There are moments of sort of explaining who's who and what's what, perhaps, uh, in that sort of viewing. But it's really not something that lends itself uh, to communal, vil- f- uh, communal, communal film watching like most films do. And uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail um, taps into some other possibility uh, with uh, spectatorship in cinema. And uh, for that reason, if not any other, and again, the brilliance of the comedy and just, you know, uh, the, the frantic, frenetic pace of the first, uh, you know, two-thirds or, or what have you, three-fourths perhaps, uh, it's, it's just great. Um, I would give it, um, I don't know, uh, eight and a half uh, herrings out of a possible uh, 9.78. Well, let's move on from that to um, what we're really here to do, which is to bring some analysis to the film. Alex, this is your pick, so we're expecting the thunder to be brought in. And so do not send the Trojan rabbit without your analysis within. Go ahead, ma'am. All right. So one thing I was really fascinated by in the movie was following Arthur's leadership journey throughout. Because if you notice, it takes till you meet Bedivere, and that's at least, what, 25, 30 minutes? Before anyone acknowledges him as actually the king. <laughs> because if you notice that everyone's either slogging mud at him or, you know, just like, oh, they acknowledge that he's the king because he doesn't got shit all over him. But no, there's no reverence for the office until we get to Bedivere. And I was thinking that was a really fascinating um, little piece of commentary. And so what I want to talk about today is charismatic leadership is defined by Max Weber, who is a 
political science leaderships and public one of the fathers administ- of sociology yeah that's true but i've only ever read him in a uh pol- public admin mm, context so Weber. yeah so um i'm just going to go ahead and read some aspects of a charismatic leader a certain quality of individual personality by virtue of which he is set apart from ordinary men and treated as endowed with supernatural, superhuman, or at least specifically exceptional powers or qualities. These are not accessible to the ordinary person, but are regarded as of divine origin or as exemplary. And then I think that was kind of the point in which I realized how Arthur is a charismatic leader and he does go on what Weber describes is the typical journey for a charismatic leader. And so in seeing that he is a charismatic leader, we, cause he had this kind of divine moment, whether it is the lady in the lake or the Holy grail. I mean, he kind of has two, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Do you think like getting the fetch quest from God, <laughs> finding the Holy Grail is his, is his kind of ascension? Because we already had Bedivere saying, well, you're the king, obviously, you know, and then he had a whole pack of people already following him. And then that was just like a confirmation of his leadership. I don't know. I, I think about that in more in terms of Joseph Campbell, I think, um, than, than Weber. I, I'm thinking the hero's journey where there's yeah. a sort of confrontational sort of moment, you know, uh, with him. Of course, uh, Joseph Campbell does talk a little bit about Arthur uh, when he um, writes uh, the hero's journey. And so I think it's more of a, a narrative trope than anything um, that sort of goes has that goes further to explicate you know his leadership in, in a more you know non supernatural sort of sense. It seems like uh, leadership um, is sort of um, built out of and this is a spiritual word inspiration or or vision right. And so I think that's a supernaturalization of you know you know basically a, a secular. Um, you know, experience that all leaders experience. That, that makes sense, Alex. Yeah, definitely. Um, and one other really key part of that idea is, so you have the charismatic leader, he gets his group of followers, but whenever the, um, the his charisma risks disappearing, if he is abandoned by God, or if his government doesn't provide any prosperity to those who dominates. And in this specific article I was reading on this Weber interpretation of charismatic leadership, it talks about how if the followers kind of split up, that's kind of a a signal that maybe the person in charge is losing their charismatic leader. And that's kind of what happens right after you have that divine intervention scene. Which is kind of an interesting idea. So following the, their brutal taunting by the French. Yeah, yeah. So you have that inciting incident, and Arthur's big moment is screaming "Run away!" at his followers. I mean, how do you <laughs> how do you draw this charismatic leadership after your, you know, divinely ordained or supernaturally woman in pond ordained? leader just screams <laughs> screams run away and from the french no less that's a big insult well, especially in the brits belief, contrary to popular belief they've inspired quite a few retreats in their day yeah well and then and, and they're the, the the disciples or the followers of the knights um they do begin to become critical of arthur and they're correcting him when he's um, um clearly has trouble with um counting three questions yeah five questions <laughs> three, three questions 
And so I think there is sort of a development of disillusionment with his leadership, you know, from that point forward. I think you're right on. Yeah, and after this, uh, the disillusionment, the followers start dropping like flies, you know, dying or getting arrested by the police. They I lost mean, five to that rabbit. Yeah, but but we didn't. They were unnamed. Right, and it was only three. Right, three. <laughs> <laughs> but they were. I mean, he did have this really big core group of followers that ends up dissolving, and it's kind of an interesting take on the hero's journey if we're going to go back to Campbell for a second. Much like The Wire, they're all dead or arrested by the end of it. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Spoiler Town. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not a spoiler. I mean, I should have figured, I mean, considering the subject matter. It's all in the game, man. Anyway, okay, so in Arthur's, in Arthur being a charismatic leader, he does demonstrate these these qualities, and then in losing his follower base, he does lose that divine... I would say he loses his divine ordainment because he doesn't find the grill and he gets arrested at the very end of the movie. Absolutely. You know, um, what year or century are we talking about? Give me a... Give me a oh, it qu- says 635 AD at the beginning of it. I oh. oh, I'm sorry. Weber, not, not oh. Arthur. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, gosh, let's see. Weber was doing uh, most 20? of his... He was doing most of his writing, writing in the uh, late 19th century. Okay. Okay, I wonder about that because in the early 20th century, um, you know, in the 1920s, there's a a lot of discussion of uh, messianism as as a leadership trait. And I just, it sounds like there's a lot of, uh, you know, attraction between those two ideas. Well, he he died in 1920, so. Okay. He probably, yeah, wasn't writing a response to that. Yeah. He foretold it, like sociologists often do. (laughs) We wield magic powers. Ask Emile Durkheim, we should have been in charge of everything. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexandra uh, Bohannon, for that uh, amazing uh, bit of analysis. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? And now for something completely different. Yes, I love when that happens. I'm going to do something I don't really do that often. Uh, you know, I, I thought about... Fight Club. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to talk about, uh, you know, maybe, you know, the, the, the problems with monarchy and, and classism and, and you're in, you know, specifically in British culture and... And I thought about maybe I'll talk about this weird obsession with animals that the film has. But then I decided I'm going to do kind of a formalist reading of this, which is not something I really ever do. Um, but I think this film highlights something really important, and that is the use of editing and, and film comedy. People talk a lot about how timing is important as delivery. And for a film, you know, the editing is the timing of the joke. It's not just what you say and when you say it. It's also about what you show and when you show it. Uh, one particular instance comes to mind. Um, there's several, but the, the first one that really made me start thinking about this was uh, when Lancelot is charging the uh, the castle of the wet the, the swamp castle, and uh, we cut to him and he's charging. And we cut back to the guards and they're just kind of like what? And we cut back to him and he's back where he started. And we cut back to him and he's a little bit further back. And we cut back to him and we cut back and forth like five or six times. The drum beat in the back, and, and it just keeps getting funnier. Mm-hmm. It 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 goes on for so long that it stops being funny, and then starts being funny again. And suddenly he's there murdering them. Um, I mean, and there's so many examples of this, and, and even less um, dramatic ones than that. Uh, I think about the scene with the French knights where they're they're taunting the Knigets, and he uh, 
he's he's up on the the tower and we can barely see John Cleese as as the Frenchman and then uh he says, oh, no, no, thanks. We, we already have one. And then it cuts to the top of the tower, and he looks at the other Frenchman, and he goes, I told them we already had one. Uh, <laughs> and it, it just goes – and the whole movie is filled with examples like this uh, of really, really great editing and, and visual comedy. Uh, the scene where the historian – we very slowly pan out on the historian as he's talking about the quest for the grail and then is very promptly cut down. Um, the, the, the shot with uh, the knights that say knee – or the artists that were formerly saying knee, um, when they say, we need another shrub, and then you're going to cut down the largest forest in the tree with a herring, and then this very dramatic... Clo- yeah, cut to dramatic close-up, exactly. Uh, and, and I feel like it's something you know that we don't talk about enough, because, again, editing is everything, whether it's you know a, a cutaway gag in something like Family Guy, or um, you know something like a, a really... A take that goes on longer than you think it would in Parks and Rec, where we 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 spend a very long time looking at someone's reaction to something. I, I mean, you can see editing and comedy throughout. You know, you know, obviously, accepting you know forms like improv or stand-up comedy, specifically, you know, television shows and in films. Um, in in those comedic instances, we see how heavily um, the use of editing and camera work can be used to tell a joke, because. You know, it's not just talking. We're, we're talking about a visual medium here. We're talking about film. And you can't just rely on dialogue. And I think some of the best comedies of all time rely on, on great cuts. Um, think about Office Space, which we did way, way, way back in the very beginning of the show. Uh, one of the most famous scenes where they kill the printer. Uh, we cut from them leaving their job immediately to them walking slowly into the field listening to gangster rap. I mean... You look at the history of film comedy, and it's just filled with uh, great examples of this. And I think uh, Holy Grail is is a fabulous example. I mean, we talk about how breakneck uh, the pacing of, of the first you know thirty or forty minutes of the film is. It's because it's one bit after another, and it never stops. And even within those bits, we have lots of jarring takes. Um, and I just think that's really important to highlight and think about um, when we think about what what makes things funny. Oh, very, very good, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Yeah, we don't, we don't get a lot of formalism from you, so that's that's fantastic. I appreciate that very much. Yeah, Mr. I watch a lot of movies. I know things. Yeah, and and you're on this podcast, right? He thinks and, he does anyway. And if nothing else, we hope that uh, you know these sorts of conversations that are sort of outside the box for you know Dalton are the that our listeners will be able to have conversations that are more and more outside the box for themselves uh, about film. So very, very well done, sir, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you? Well, I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to take this in. Are you uh, going to talk about something so you can talk about something else? Not well. Kind. Of, I'm going to mention things and then move into something else. <laughs> yeah. So kind of like you. Yeah. I took it a page from out of Dalton's book, it's just like, like you wanted. That's it, what you wanted, Dustin. You guys just exchanged souls for the show. I think tonight is what happened. Do you want to make out? Sure. All right. Let's go. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think what excuse I really excuse me. Oh. I, I think he is a doctor after all. I, I think what I need is a. As a spanking, so vicious spanking. So a do I. Spanking, a <laughs> spanking. Spank me too. Ar- Arthur, really, you should just spank us all. S- and spank me and me. And I me. think I can handle this guy. <laughs> and, and then, and then the oral sex. This is getting perilous. I could, I could stay a bit longer. I, I guess. Can, I, can, I can. No, the peril is too great. Bet you're gay. Anyway, your analysis. I thought about going. Somewhere with the uh, traditions of British comedy, but I didn't feel well-versed enough in that. And then I thought about the way this skewers the Arthurian legend, uh, but I'm a little rusty on my lore. Uh, So I thought I'd go somewhere a little more boring and talk about how this strays from the classical Hollywood style as a film. 
and uh, and look at how it circumvents those uh, tropes and motifs that uh, Hollywood is known for, especially at that time period in full force in 1970s, mid-1970s, when this was what was known uh, to a general audience, even in Britain, where they primarily emulated the American style of filmmaking, the Hollywood machine. Um, the Hollywood style seeks to put the narrative first, and no matter what, the classical style reinforces the narrative at hand so the audience won't get lost or confused. Obviously, we see this tinkered within uh, horror and mystery and some genres like that, which require suspense to be built, and keeping the audience guessing is uh, part of the fun. Um, classically, though, comedy gets the full narrative treatment as much of the humor acts to move the story along, uh, but it is never used to confuse us. Python's gang, however, often seeks to throw rules and tradition out the window from the opening sequence. And this is a note from the, uh, I guess, extended cut with the dentist opening mm. and all that good stuff, which is rather uh, more fun, I believe. Python's gang, however, often seeks to throw rules and tradition out the window from the opening sequence. Uh, in fact, the movie that starts when you hit play has nothing to do with the Holy Grail. In fact, is a black and white film involving dentistry. Uh, this would be very confusing for audiences, unless they were expecting a double bill or a short uh, the movie then does a burn-away transition. We get a little cards informing us that the projectionist uh, chose the wrong film. Uh, this then leads us into uh, the credits, uh, where we get several different jokes and more projectionist incompetence before getting a uh, overly hey, stylized and expensive credit sequence. That's that's no joke, man. Moose bites can be pretty nasty. <laughs> Why don't you try Sweden? It's very nice. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> also, also with... <laughs> Those responsible the, have been sacked. The credits. The credits in this movie are oh my God, worth discussing so alone. Um... Regardless, we then move into this film that is just full of sketches and and animated sequences and songs and odd characters, which are all tied together with this grail quest, this kind of scarlet thread that keeps the film running. Um, but truly, the story takes the background. So this is a, a precursor to what we would see with Meaning of Life, which would take on a much more vignette-based life mm -hmm. and sketch uh, feel to it. Um, Holy Grail's plot solely exists to set up a multitude of jokes, uh, many which just seem to question... Uh, the policies and procedures of the political atmosphere and foreign affairs. And it is in these sketches that Holy Grail is at its most effective, creating memorable characters and situations uh, which would suffer if they had to focus on any sensible story. Uh, in throwing everything they could against the wall, Python and Associates created uh, one of the most memorable cult films of all time. And it is because uh, it is so against the grain and out of the ordinary that it works brilliantly. And I think it's so unique that it draws people in as opposed to most classic comedies. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon. And again, uh, more more talk on style and uh, formalism. So I, I enjoy that very, very much. What I want to move on to now in review is I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, sort of a name that's bandied about in terms of this film and also last week's film, or rather a label or a movement in art, which is surrealism, and uh, how this film uh, functions as uh, something of a surrealist text. And, of course, you know, we, we talk about the, the randomness of the, uh, the dentistry film at, at the first end of it. Uh, the surrealist um, um, Vash and uh, Andre Breton 
uh, and, and to an extent Louis Bunuel as well, uh, put together this practice uh, in the 1920s in Paris where they would go to uh, cinemas and they would just sit for a little while. And then they would get up immediately and they would go to a, directly to another cinema and start watching again and then get up for a while and, after a while and watch another film and sort of just you know uh, suture these sort of films together. I guess it's sort of a, a way of doing your own editing. Uh, to uh, to Dawson's point, and uh, the film sort of begins that way uh, as this sort of uh, dreamlike experience of you're moving from one set of vignettes to another set of vignettes, like your dreams do. You know, you begin doing a Scooby Doo adventure, then suddenly you're on the Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, that's that's sort of the randomness of dream that the surrealists were very very interested in, and of course exploring the unconscious mind, uh, which is found in dream. And of course, the label of the boxes of whatever dentistry equipment's being moved is a dream. Uh, equipment, D-R-E-E-M, equipment. And so there is this uh, immediate moment of uh, surrealism that's uh, sort of being edged into the film. And, uh, of course, you know, just the randomness itself, um, uh, that dream, you know, functions in that sort of way. And also the sort of anarchic impulse. Uh, Louis Bunuel once said that uh, to do surrealism is like firing a gun into an open crowd, which is uh, sort of a more violent um, image. Uh, but really, that that's what this film is. I mean, it, it is it is just shooting at the audience, um, you know, at a very rapid pace, very very different staccato things, and uh, sort of creating this sort of non sequitur, uh, dreamlike uh, logic to it. I want to think a little bit about um, some words uh, written by uh, Mr. Jean Goudal, one of the early surrealists as well, and he just talks about what um, what's wonderfully surreal about film and uh, how the uh, film Monty Python the Holy Grail uh, works that way. Uh, first of all, uh, film and his best when it is most surreal it's all it's all there's three um basic dream characteristics um it is visual it is illogical and it is pervasive um the first thing you know the visual and we talked a moment about sight gags and uh, this is a massively visual film, it, just like Dream is. Uh, you know, strangely, there there um, is some thinking in, in terms of Dream that you don't actually experience sound, that you just sort of are aware of sound, but you don't you know experience that 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 primarily the the data. Um, that we recall is visual data. And, of course, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is massively visual. Um, that poor cat um, being uh, used to... <laughs> <laughs> being used to, uh, what well, I guess, uh, beat a rug. Beat a rug. That's the only thing I can think of either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <sighs> There's one in every family, sir. Two in mine, actually. And they always manage to ruin special occasions. What am I going to do with him? He'd make a very handsome throw rug. Sazu. And just think, whenever he gets dirty, you could take him out and beat him. Uh, so there, there again, and throughout there, there's a bit of visual um, joke um, that's being used. Also, the logic, right? And we, we we've already sort of touched on this a lot when we've used the word non sequitur, or in fact, even red herring. Um, like uh, bring you know cut down the tallest tree in the forest with one, and, and and so again just as our dreams are generally illogical that they are sort of the sequence they 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 sort of are they 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 have a sense of meaning but that meaning is somewhat obscured and the moment itself sort of rules the day and so it is this series of moments and as you're watching the film it's best to appreciate what you're seeing at the moment rather than try to you know in your mind uh, following uh, the, our training from the classical. Hollywood style to construct some sort of narrative, right? And, and finally, it's pervasive. And, and what he means by uh, pervasive 
is uh, it, it's, it's experiencing uh, this thing that does have uh, some sense of sequence, and this is the meaning-making uh, thing that we do, and it does reintroduce something of a human dimension uh, in filmmaking. Uh, and, and, and really, you know, the movie, other things could have happened. In fact, in this movie, anything truly could have happened. Right, but it is pervasive in the sense that there it creates a sense of inevitability of what happens next, even though it's completely obvious that uh, thousands of other possibilities were probably kicked around in a uh, in a smoke filled room at some point uh, by the the Python troop, right? And so it remains pervasive in that sense. Or oh, what? Or oh, what? What? Or what if there was a? Or oh, uh, what if there was like a like a butt with with a, with a trumpet? What if there was – and I'm glad you mentioned the animation because that's another uh, aspect uh, that, that Sapal, or rather Goodall uh, talks about a little bit later. Uh, just the use of uh, you know, the, illogical, the illogicality of detail that we find in the use of the geometric. You know, most of our life, you know, uh, one thing that you're taught when you're uh, doing outdoorsy sorts of things uh, and you're trying to find uh, humans or you're trying to find civilization is you look for straight lines. You look for uh, things because they, they just don't occur in nature, right? And so it, it, straight lines indicate power lines or telephone poles or, you know. I was just thinking this is a SpongeBob quote where Moss always points to civilization, but I don't think any of you like SpongeBob. Uh, I like I love it, SpongeBob. I'm not aware of what you're talking oh, about. Oh, I know exactly oh, what you're talking about. Oh, you know that quote? Okay, cool. You're damn right. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you smell what I'm stepping in. And uh, what, what's funny is that they talk about these moments in uh, Thief of Baghdad and a couple of other uh, German films, um, the Nilbulglin, uh, which uh, there's a Cerberus uh, beast in there that's drawn. And the Cerberus beast is very much uh, geometric. It's drawn in these sort of patterns. And again, it sort of upsets the reality and, and, and you know, heightens the sense of irreality. But at the same time, um, you know, is all, you know, uh, woven within the narrative of the film. And so throughout the animation – is very geometric, even when it's sort of uh, strangely organic. When I think about the beast with the great many eyes, the black beast of whatever. Kobanog. No, wait, though. No, that's the castle it isn't. It is the cave. What's the cave called? I don't remember. It's not important. But there's, you know, this the scene where uh, the the bloody weather is uh, is so badly, and 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 so he goes down this very very symmetrical geometric. <laughs> grumbling the whole way right and and, and it, you know again it just kind of this gives us a sense of what the surrealists called the marvelous which is that moment of the uncanny where it's, it's something like reality but it's clearly not reality and uh throughout the film i think you're walking through an uncanny valley um uh, eternally right i mean is that that is just the experience of the film, and so you know, you take into account its, uh, its politics, its sort of anarchic approach to uh, authority structures, whether they be religious or whether they be uh, political, or just simply uh, you know, sort of matrices of power. They're all being upset, and they're all being. That's all taking place within this sort of surreal moment. And so, really, I mean, if you are thinking, you know, surrealist film, and you know, that's artsy fartsy sort of stuff, and it's very very difficult. And uh, it means it's stuff that's going to make your brain hurt. I would direct you to Monty Python and the Holy Grail because I think, um, it, to a large extent, it is a surrealist film par excellence. Um, and uh, again, follows uh, Godal and other writers' um, thoughts towards uh, what it would take to make something of a surrealist film. 
So Monty Python and the Holy Grail with Mulholland Drive. Great double feature or greatest double feature? <laughs> Man, I don't know. <laughs> Wish you watched second. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, question. You probably uh, need... You'd probably finish you'd probably with... need Python second. I'm thinking you finish with Mulholland Drive. Your brain's going to hurt too much to do anything else afterwards. <laughs> well, there's that. Well, all right, guys. Thank you so much for that analysis. You know, it could have been better. You all make me sad. Uh, but I move... Right. <laughs> uh, we're going to move right along now into our final verdicts, um, whether this uh, movie is worthy of the shelf or the trash, and then our Elsa's or instead's. Mine will not include Mulholland Drive. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? Uh, def- definitely a shelfable film. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's you know just it's great for having people over. It's great just to relax and just watch. It's an all occasions type of film. Um, I would say you could watch this with. I would say watch this with uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, that's a good one. I think. Ah, oh, um, I wish pick. that was my pick. Yeah, the entirety of the Mel Brooks filmography, perhaps. Possibly. Yeah, I would also suggest uh, just thinking back to kind of this. Uh, aversion and uh, circumvention Mm -hmm. of uh, the hero's journey. I'd say the Lego movie might pair well with this, as well as um, talking about fantastic editing and comedies. I don't think it gets much better than the Cornetto trilogy. And so tag those on here as well. Some fun gore. like It's like if we had the budget... Back then, they could have had the gore they had in Hot Fuzz and Zombieland. It's just a flesh wound. Yeah. Just you said Zombieland. Oh, shoot. Shaun of the Dead. Ooh, narp. <laughs> narp. Yarp. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Uh, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what say you? Picker of the film, shelf or trash, elsewhere instead. Oh, gee, I wonder how this one will turn out. Definitely a shuffleable film. Even though I hadn't seen it in a while, I'm glad to know that it still holds up, and it is a, a film that requires much rejoicing. Yay. Yay. Oh, man, you were slow on that one, Dalton. Way to go. anyway um so what other films and pieces of media could you pair with this film um obviously you could watch any of monty python's flying circus if you want a taste of what sketch comedy is with no ties between scenes mostly even though there are recurring characters over seasons um i would also recommend another sketch show uh a bit of Fry and Laurie, which is a, an 80s sketch comedy with Hugh, uh, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. Also very good. And there are musical numbers. And my final pick is actually a play. Um, yeah, I know. Well, you guys have probably seen it. The Complete Works of William Shakespeare Bridge. I have performed in it, my good lady. Who were you? Were you Adam? I bet, I bet you were Adam. Who, who, who? Adam is the one that runs away in the middle. I, I played Hamlet. Oh. <gasps> Oh my gosh! Okay, sorry. Impressive. Okay, we'll we'll talk more later about that. We okay, will. anyway, um, so yes, complete works of William Shakespeare abridged a, an irreverent romp through history and it's uh, so good, hilarious visual jokes, sight gags, meta, all of that, and it's a play. You can actually find it on DVD, so you can have it. You know, the one that was one of the original casts in London about. 
10 years ago and it's totally worth it. Just so good. Absolutely. Anyway, um, those would be my, my picks to pair with this film also. Thank you very much, Ms. Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you? It's already on my shelf. It has the distinction of what being one of the few films that I actually own. So there is that. Um, other than noting specifically, you should watch The Meaning of Life because that's probably my favorite Python film, uh, bar none. I'm just going to echo everything Arthur said because I liked his picks a lot and Alex's too. I, I liked both her picks a whole, whole lot, uh, so yeah. I'm not going to offer anything else. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, what I would also say is shelfable. In fact, um, as uh, we were having the conversation, because Dalton, Alex, and I were able to watch this film together uh, in preparation for this week's show, um, and uh, we were trying to make sure we had a DVD. We knew Arthur owned a copy, and uh, I didn't know that Dalton did. And then I came to this horrible realization that I did not. And uh, that is a problem that's going to have to be fixed uh, very, very soon. Uh, in my life, so totally, I'm going to say shelf for uh, this film. I, I want to echo Darth, Darth Darth Arthur, Darth Arthur. <laughs> I'm going to echo Mr. Arthur Gordon's pick of Robin Hood Men in Tights because I do think that's an excellent selection. Because my selection was Leslie Nielsen's N- Naked Gun films, oh. and uh, I, I think in a, in a similar sort of way, they they get that sort of crazy. And uh, you know, I think airplane could also be watched for yes. this as well. Yes. Timmy, have you ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> I guess I'm the one that they sometimes call Tim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I speak jive. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm also going to uh, recommend. Uh, that uh, in, in terms of surrealists and looking at you know sort of other films and maybe reading them through a more surreal lens, not a surrealist film, but Buster Keaton's College. And uh, there's a great little essay. Uh, it's not an essay. It's probably two pages long that Louis Bunuel wrote uh, concerning um, college and just how fantastic it was and uh, you know how it sort of raises those uh, possibilities of exploring the unconscious. So uh, and just as um, the id is running mad and wild, Throughout Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I think perhaps uh, that film is a place to do that. Maybe combine it with uh, Boonwell's essay and then attack what other, uh, what other, whatever other films um, tickle your fancy. And so we now must move on um, to uh, a chance where the listener is able to give us feedback. Uh, we've begun Ratings Palooza, and even though this is now episode 101, holy shit, we do desperately want you to go ahead and give us those iTunes ratings. Again, you don't have to necessarily write anything. We always appreciate that if you would just take an extra moment to do so. But we are trying to increase our exposure by getting all of our listeners to put as many of those ratings in within this sort of week, week and a half, two week time frame. We've got quite a few more than we did. Though. Though, uh, standing here on the other side of the stated time frame, which was between episodes 99 uh, and 100. It wasn't quite the explosion we had hoped, you you poor, feeble-minded people. We gave you one fucking job. I'm just kidding, listener. Um, but we, we have quite a few more uh, ratings and reviews than we had. Well, more ratings uh, than we had. Uh, we had one or two more reviews than we had previously. Uh, and that made me feel real good. And people wrote nice things, and it made me feel warm and fuzzy. Yes, indeedy. So we begin now to think about social media means by which that conversation may be held. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about that? Uh, yes, first and foremost, you could just email us, if that's a thing you still do. Uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. 
Uh, send that over. We'll read it on air, whether it is flattering or not. Secondly, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. We have quite a bit of feedback this week coming in uh, from Facebook. Going back to our, our favorite detectives game from The Wire, uh, Brigham said that Jet Black from Cowboy Bebop. Ooh, good pick. And Detective Frank Draben from Police Squad Naked Gun are his picks. Fran King says Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Cole and Hart from True Detective, and Emmett Carver from Grace Point. Nice. On uh, some new movies over the holiday, I put out a question for over the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, Shane Arrington was asking if any of us had seen Fury, and I couldn't remember if you had Dalton or not. I have seen Fury. I liked it quite a bit, Shane. Um, I'm, I was a pretty big fan of it. I expected it to be okay. Um, I, I was kind of taken aback by by just how much I, I liked it. Very good. Also on new movies, we had another uh, comment. Thanks, Nick Sanford, for this this little bit here. I paid a projectionist at the Warren in, in, in Band-Aids to play my secret window Blu-ray in Theater 6, and, but he didn't, and I feel ripped off. But uh, Hey, Nick, kill yourself. On the subject of David Lynch, uh, Randall Bay says, Lynch equals amazing fabulousness. And then finally, Fran King says, Congrats on 100 episodes. And that she sent in her review for um, her podcast review 15 minutes ago in Best of Luck. And that was 15 minutes ago from when she posted it a few days ago. <laughs> hey, Fran. So several thousand minutes ago or hundred. Lots of them. Sure. Hey, Fran. Thanks so much. None of us know you personally. Uh, and it's always fabulous when somebody we don't actually know writes in. So thank you for that. That makes it us feel like us. we're actually doing something uh, other than uh, just entertaining our friends. Exactly. Would you say it's for the greater good? The greater, the greater good. good. I'm sorry I missed that one. You have well, thank one you. job. <laughs> thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media means by which a conversation may be held? Bravely bold, Sir Twitter wrote forth from Camelot. Twitter was not afraid to die. Oh, brave Sir Twitter. Twitter was not afraid at all to be killed in nasty ways. Brave, 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 Sir Twitter. Twitter was not the <clears throat> Twitter was not in the least bit scared to be mashed into a pulp, or to have its eyes gouged out and its elbows broken, to have its kneecaps split and its body burned away and its limbs all hacked and mangled. Brave, brave, Sir Twitter. His head smashed in and his heart cashed out. <laughs> Son of a bitch. There needs to be more editing. Uh, its head smashed in and heart cut out, and its liver removed, and its balls and unpl- bowels unplugged, and its nostrils raped, and its bottom burned off, and its penis. Okay, is it, you get excuse the idea. me, is it Hashtag actually, the struggle. It, is it nostrils raped or ripped? I always thought it was raped. It's raped. Okay, Dustin was wrong. Raped. That's uncomfortable. I know. <laughs> and its bottom burned off. Ladies and gentlemen. You can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Hey, is there any feedback coming in from that Twitter? Hey, there is. Uh, we got a bit. We got a bit. We got a bit. Um, Brad Lepperson. <laughs> That's at Brad L. Epperson on Twitter. It's never not funny. No, it's not. It keeps getting funnier 100 episodes later because I'm pretty sure he wrote in by like episode three. I think it, probably so. Yeah, yeah. It's, it keeps getting funnier. Uh, he sent us a link to seven winter-themed movies every man should see. Uh, and I wholeheartedly concur with the list because it wrapped it up with the gray. So, thank you. 
Brigham Cole sent us a link to a badass digest covering the announcement of the Suicide Squad cast announcement. We might talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and also informed me that the first full-length Star Wars trailer will be appearing uh, before uh, the Avengers uh, Age of Ultron. Like, I needed another reason to go see it. So Dude, that was cool. Dude, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. He also uh, mentioned that he uh, sent us a link to uh, Tom Waits way down the hole. Because he doesn't have any attachment to The Wire, but he loves Tom Waits. And Tom Waits uh, way down the hole is the uh, song that is covered uh, at the start of every season of The Wire, and in the second season, it actually is Tom Waits' version that they use. I love Tom Waits. So, very, very good. Thank sad, you very much. Sad, sad, sad music for a man that needs to feel pain. Oh, there, there's good moments, though. Yeah, that's true. You gotta, you gotta listen to Live at the Nighthawk. Um, it's it's a very funny album. I just like his voice. Yeah, I do, too. Uh, well, thank you very much for that feedback. Of course, dear listener, we do this all for you. And uh, so we would love to hear more from you. Um, suggestions, uh, movie um, suggestions, we, we do take those. Sometimes we don't take them uh, very seriously. I can remember from episode one, we had a movie suggestion, and we have yet to get to it yet. 101 episodes in. Tucker and Dale, it will happen. We who, promise. Who suggested that? Vesley. Oh, well, fuck it. We're never going to do it then. Suck it, Vesley. Uh, so we'll definitely, definitely take all that into account, and of course, we'd like to read feedback on the air because it makes it, again, feel like this is a real podcast instead of something we just do in our houses. So I do want to go ahead and read two of the reviews that we've gotten in from the iTunes recently. Um, one of them is... Are they uh, our favorite two or our only two? You be the judge. I'm going to uh, start with this one. Um, the uh, title of the review, I guess, is knowledgeable. Um, it's all adjectives this time. Uh, this is by Fran King 54 um, I ran across this podcast a few months ago, and it has fast become one of my favorites. Good analysis, not only about movies, but TV. Great insights with great folks, which actually um, partially inspires the next one. Were you going to say something, Mr. Stewart? I was just going to say thanks, Mr. Fran. Very rarely do uh, people call us great, or let me phrase that. Very rarely do people call me great folk. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely correct. Uh, <laughs> the next one is Insightful as a title. This is from um, Lysistrata um, XIII, which I assume is the Roman numeral for 13, um, and not some sort of a strange alien last name. This podcast is fantastic! Exclamation point. All contributors of Good Trash Undercast make up a laugh-filled analytical concert of film nerddom and pop culture fabulousness. All caps... Highly recommended for filmies. So, thank you very much for that. That's yeah. sweet. That's nice. Just, we don't know warm, either of those people. The warm fuzzies right now are just Man. like off the charts. Right in the fills. Right in the fills. So, thank you, thank you. That's very, very gratifying stuff to be hearing. But we do need to move on because it's now time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> so we laughed a lot uh, making this week's show. We laughed a lot watching the film for this week's show. And we are going to, in this week of 100, this month of December, which we pick favorite movies and we sort of celebrate this 100 centennial milestone uh, for the Good Trash Genre cast, uh, we are going to talk about our favorite um, funny moments of the show. That's right! Favorite funny moments from the show, brought to you by Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. When you need to laugh, spam a lot. <laughs> excellent, excellent. 
And we're going to begin uh, the the laughter and the memories uh, with the new rookie to the show, the the, the initiate, uh, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. She's been with us uh, a quarter of the time um, since uh, episode 80, correct? And so, um, Alex, what are your favorite humorous moments? And maybe you've got one from the back catalog. I don't know. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what you got to say. Well, I think uh, one of my favorites that is never – I definitely not on <laughs> – on the mic or on recording is that one time we were over at Dustin's house. And for some reason I just had the giggles and we, and it made everyone else have the giggles and we just couldn't get going. It was like 20 minutes solid where we were just like, we'd get silence. Like, okay, is everyone ready? And then we just kind of wait. And then the next person would start laughing and just like, it kills me. Like that was just such a good moment. And, uh, and that shit happens. Like, I swear, once every five or six episodes, and it's usually Arthur's fault, because mm-hmm, usually, correct. usually me or Dustin will make some offhand pithy comment, no one will laugh, <laughs> and then Arthur will do that damn chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. the one, and that's. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what starts it all down Please. down the rabbit hole, and then we'll spend fifteen minutes trying to get the damn show started. Yes, and I have to spend you know hours editing it. But yes, absolutely. Do you have any other moments you like to share, Alex? Oh gosh, um, just the amount of time. <laughs> it's stuff that you do actually when you'll just like make eye contact with me whenever one of the other ones. Oh, I'm saying I'm pointing. Audio only listeners. I'm pointing at Dustin. Dustin will make this face at me sometimes when Dalton make does something, and it's like this aggravated dad. Like I'm irritated, <laughs> but I'm proud of my son. I guess as he tries to throw his first baseball, but hits me in the crotch kind of face. <laughs> Love you, Pop. <laughs> Most of the show, I look like I'm being hit in the balls. <laughs> That's probably my other one, and that happens multiple times every episode. Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. Similar to my face palming phase <laughs> that I went through. Oh yeah, at any time, Arthur and uh, Dalton spontaneously break out into song, much to our straight man Dustin's chagrin. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, I'm, I shudder to think. What are your favorite humorous moments? I also love singing with Arthur, and I couldn't even tell you how that started. I I don't know. I have no clue. It just I really kinda... don't remember. <laughs> it's been going on probably since we were. Dustin, still... would could you tell do, us? Do you remember? Do you? Do, do you, you remember? remember? <laughs> Even I know that one. <laughs> I do not. Uh, it's it's. I mean, probably since we've been recording at UCO. I mean, I way think so. back. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's way back then. Yes. I mean, uh, but the best, the, the highlight of all of that was when <laughs> Dustin mentioned on Fired Up, uh, and this probably would have been, oh God, episode 40, 50, somewhere in there. October of last year, I believe. Okay, there you go. That he was going to go uh, to Pearl Jam <laughs> with uh, Caleb Masters. <laughs> and, and, you know, me and Arthur have nothing against Pearl Jam. We're just not wild about him. So then we just started making fun of Eddie Vedder. <laughs> okay, I got to stop this right now. Dear listener, this went on for months. Months. The, there, there are months. There are probably hours of cutting room floor 
um, sound <laughs> bits of uh, terrible Eddie Vedder, which sound more like Scott Stapp uh, impersonations um, all over um, the. Uh, Are you and now you the know. The giggles are here. <laughs> You're going to peek behind the curtain right now. Um, man, uh, yeah, that went on for a long time. I think probably the hardest I've ever laughed, there's there's two, because of the show. One, back in the early days, me, Dustin, Arthur went to eat one time. And, and Arthur, I don't know if... <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on this, listener. Arthur, Arthur, despite Dustin's curmudgeonliness, Arthur, I really think, is more of the, the straight man of all of this, but in a wackier kind of way. Because <laughs> he always catches you off guard when he does something strange. We went to eat, and this poor girl that was working at the establishment we were dining at was endlessly harassed by Arthur now. how he was never coming back to the establishment. And she, she totally, she was totally game for it. She totally went for it and was throwing it right back at us. I swear to God, I don't think I've ever laughed that hard in public in my entire <laughs> life. I thought I was going to throw up. There was a good time at the Whataburger that night. That's, that's Whataburger. Yeah. That's, and Arthur yeah. just was like, this took way too long. She's like, oh, I forgot to bring you guys napkins. I'll be right back. And Arthur's like, I don't want them now. It's just like just being a just being a relentless prick. It was so funny. That you yeah, bless her because she just went with it, and that was probably the most fun I've ever had in a public eatery. It was ever. so funny. But I'll tell you what: the on air, and I can't even for the life of me remember if any of this made it to air. The recording the funniest thing that has ever happened to this day was last December. No, God, it was the December before last. It was December 2012. Arthur had gone to see Jack Reacher starring Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow... It might be the Jackie Brown show. It's it was the Jackie, the, Brown, it is the Jackie Brown show. I we do remember Dalton's that. House. We were at, we were at uh, my parents' house, actually, Correct. recording. Pre-studio. Pre-studio pre, uh, DS. Um, and, and he accidentally, slip of the tongue, said Jack Creature. And it, there is a character in the Harry Potter films called Creature, to be clear. That Creature the House Elf, which led me to Dobby the House Elf, sliding under a table, <laughs> shooting two guns. And we just riffed on this, like, just, like, doing tough guy movie lines in the voice of Dobby from Harry Potter. <laughs> it was so, I mean, it, it, oh my god, we went on and on and on. Oh, it was yeah. so funny. And it just, you know, thinking back on these moments, I'm so glad to do this show with you guys because I, I laugh consistently and I laugh hard every time I, I sit down with the three of you. I, I just, I love, I love you guys. Well, that was sweet, and I will not re- reciprocate in any way. Um, thank you very much, though, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you have any humorous moments you'd like to share? I will echo. I think the Jack Creature show was probably one of the funniest things because so funny. It was one of those times where we laughed for. Probably like thirty minutes nonstop. It was <laughs> ridiculous. Anytime we get the giggles, like ridiculous Alex was saying, is definitely the adjective. Uh, when we get the Dobby giggles. came here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, <laughs> and I'm all out of gum. <laughs> Dobby's all out of bubble gum. <laughs> Master Potter, <laughs> yippee ki yay, Mister Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Because Snape isn't it? <laughs> oh, my oh, oh my god, it's so bad! Going somewhere, Mr. McLean. 
Master Snape shouldn't master Master Potter. <laughs> Yippee ki yay! <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! Bless. Anything else, Arthur? Uh, the other thing is, I think that we, with some skill and talent, not to brag, uh, deliver and are able to do some of the best callbacks, whether it is for our own amusement or not. Starting with high fiving a million angels. I think the, it's a thousand angels. It a thousand. A thousand angels. I stole that from Thirty Rock. I got to give credit where credit is we, due. We moved from that into Old Ben Kenobi. <laughs> oh, I don't even remember when Old Ben started. We showed no, in. I can't even remember. I have no. I couldn't fucking tell you. Did, I don't know if it had I anything know, to do with Caleb Masters because his tag, his name I, is uh, yes, a play on it, it. I don't know if it's it, that. It, or, it was. It was Caleb Masters. Uh, Twitter uh, handle. His Twitter Back when we did that at thing. Big Calcum Nobi ninety one. If you want to follow him, I think it was on my brain when we were recording because um, I was listening to. Um, God, I want to say it was the Doug Loves Movies podcast, but it might have been uh, the You Made It Weird podcast with Pete Holmes. Um, but somebody did a bit about old Ben No Bottoms. And that was so was on my on the brain, and yeah, it just devolved from there. And so every time it'll get quiet, if somebody be like, we'll re- mention someone, and Arthur, it'll get quiet. And Arthur will look at me and go, "I do, you, do you think he, do you think he means old Ben Kenobi?" <laughs> and it just, I lose my shit every time. He did it right before we recorded <laughs> today. I still laugh every time. It's it's. I think we we are very skilled with our callbacks, and that leads us to. Mr. Leperson and Mr. Vesley, who yes. have become our running internet jokes of the show somehow. For God the re- bless them. For the record, I- I've never met Brad uh, Epperson. He-, he seems like a great guy. He always writes and he always has insightful things to say. I misread his name one time on Twitter. It's his his Twitter handle is at Brad L. Epperson. Which and is I- his middle name. Which is his middle name. And I don't, Initial. I don't know Brad. So I just read it as Brad Leperson one time, and Dustin thought it was the funniest thing in the world, so I just keep doing it. I'll well, stop doing it when you stop laughing. There's this sort of a leprosy sort of uh, <laughs> exactly in there somewhere. And then I, I don't – suck at Vesley. I've, I've met Caleb Vesley. He's a nice kid. I can tell you where suck at Vesley came from. I just started saying it one day. Now I'm never going to stop, ever. <laughs> I'll never stop. you got to put me in the ground before that shit ends. Sorry, Mr. Vesley and Mr. Leperson. Yeah, we apologize. Vesley can suck it. So, so Dustin, uh, I guess we move around to you. Callbacks, singing, and murderous house elves. What are things that happen during this show that make you laugh? Which I I'm can't, getting too old for this shit, Mr. Potter. <laughs> I can't even imagine because you got to edit this crap. I've never laughed ever in the course of the show. <laughs> he has probably cried and cursed more on the cutting room floor than anybody. I tell you what, I do. I really do. I mean, most of my my funny moments are totally off air. Uh, to, just to be, I mean, there's a lot of funny things. Of course, we tell good jokes, and I, I laugh, and we all laugh together. But most of the time, um, there are things uh, where all three of you and all of our guest hosts have said, "Yeah, good luck editing this one." And uh, I just, I that those are probably the moments that happen uh, weekly, for one thing. But I am, I am always having a good chuckle, and it's a good time, um, dear listener. I say this to say this: I'm sparing you from all of that material. But um, it is it is funny in a sort of an inside behind the curtain kind of way. There, there was one time, and I say one time, it's probably happened three or four times. Dustin will leave the room um, for whatever reason. We'll stay recording because it's just easier to cut that way. And I'll just start shit talking him so hard, 
and I just imagined him sitting down to edit and getting to that. And that's that. It's it's purely for like the, the delayed reaction of imagining his reaction. That one time, I was just sitting in the floor with the mic, just being like, "I can't fucking sing. I'm tone deaf as fuck." Dustin, I hope you love it, and just. For on and on and on until he came back in the room and acted like nothing had happened. That made uh, the outtakes. Okay. Did that make the outtakes? One That's more. Good. One more. I just remembered the time that we pranked Arthur with. Well, we th- pranked Dalton using the Lords of Salem alt voice, and it was <laughs> Dustin's child. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. And uh, we had to end up telling Dalton um, what I decided to do. is We knew Arthur was going to be gone, and Arthur has before in the past been not been able to be here and has uh, given us email MP3s of either his analysis or of his uh, voice the cinema bits. And uh, we, we've done it that way and sort of cut it in, you know, magically. Uh, since you can't see, it's not a visual medium anyway. And so we decided we were going to do this, and I had, you know, my youngest son, seven years old, uh, do the Lords of Salem synopsis. And which is not a kid movie at all, which is they part didn't of, watch it. We didn't subject them to that, by no, the way. No, we did not. But he, he read the whole thing. It was really funny. And uh, so I was like, OK, so here it is from, uh, you know, the voice of cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon. He did go ahead and phone in his thing. And Dalton went on this tear. Of, I didn't hear it for the record. He didn't. He, he didn't. We just left a bit of dead air. Uh, and yeah, and I just, like, bitched about how you wouldn't let me do the, the plot summary. And how was that so much better? You know, it was terrible. And I, 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 be- I believe um, a, a detrimental mark, remark was made about uh, the, the synopsizer. And uh, perhaps using, um, you know... Colorful uh, language. Colorful language. As I want to do. And, and, and I realize this is all going to be about my son. And, I, I mean, I'm all for making Dalton look like a jerk because, you know, the truth has power. He, he actually edits the show around what actually is said sometimes just to make me seem mean. It's true. I do this. Um, but he's actually meaner than all I'll of say, that. Oh, but those of you that were at the live show... Know that he doesn't have to work that hard, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so as a result, we ended up going ahead and having to tell Dalton because I just I felt too guilty, and you have a slightly less salty version. Utter, utter, utter mortification. <laughs> that was such a good moment. <laughs> at, he died. At, at how he swore out my my seven year old. Um, you know, unbeknownst to the seven year old, of course, was not in the room or anything like that. It was just the MP3, but it was very very funny times. That little cuss looks at me sideways, though. He's going to get an earful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go, dear listener. We've had a lot of fun. Um, what, when's I, the, what moment has made you laugh the most? I would love to hear that. I, I would love to hear, especially for some of our new listeners who are probably just now going through the back catalog. It's fresher in your minds. I would love to hear some of our listeners' favorite moments that have just really tickled them. We, d- we really do have a kind of a twofold emphasis here on the show. We we're, we're definitely wanting to do um, insightful analysis. We want to think about films in sort of a deep, uh, you know, academic yet accessible kind of way. But we also um, said as a, the second part of our goal it is to just have fun and for you to have a good time. We really want you to have to stop in the middle of your jog. Uh, while you're listening to the show, and catch your breath because you're laughing. That is, that is one one of our um, major, major um, measures and benchmarks of success uh, for the show. So we would, again, love to hear uh, what you have to say about that. But you know what I like to hear more about? What's got us all fired up this week in pop yeah. culture? Turn me up. Uh. Yo. Uh. My crew is all fired up. Y'all better just wise up. 
First, Miss Bohannon, are you fired up? Yeah, I'm fired up pretty much just about one thing because most of my attention has been diverted to my statistics final and this final paper that I turned in tonight. So I'm officially done with school. Um, but on Sunday, uh, for starters, Dalton and I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles together, which was a great time. We did do that. Yeah, that was my first time ever seeing the movie. And I Th- this is the, the I one, was very surprised. This is the one from 1990. Not like the, good the one. real one. The yeah. real one. The real one. Um, no Megan Fox here. No. Um, definitely. Yeah, she was in it, right? She was April. Yeah, she's, in the, she's in the new one. Yeah. Okay. But that. And then um, later that day, I um, was on Steam and due to a twist of fate, I got invited to play. <laughs> I got invited to play a match of Dota with a famous Dota streamer. Uh, and he was streaming on Twitch. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it was really cool, and the circumstances are too long to describe what happened, but I um, definitely messed up and accidentally exited out of his his queue, his invite, and uh, so I didn't actually get to play with him, but he invited me to play with him. Oh. I... I actually, I said, I was really upset, like, like, really upset, and so I sent him an email on his YouTube Twitch streaming account, and it was like... Hey, uh, you could, we could we could play again sometime soon. Uh, I'm a big fan. Please, please. but he hasn't written back. So, so I is hope this that's... sort of like um, I don't know, getting an opportunity to go play catch with Nolan Ryan and then forgetting the appointment? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And it was just, uh, it was so, it was such a a bad time. And the and the thing is, is like the way he gets people to play with him is that he'll ask in his little chat channel hey if you want to play just make a comment and so everyone was making all these comments about let me pick you pick me to play and i just was like oh my god all these people are asking to play with you again i can't believe it and that's what he invited me over that cool yeah so it was like a twist of fate like but i hope it comes around again please who the hell is nolan ryan he is one of the oh I, I, i didn't actually care Oh, he's, he's a baseball See, pitcher. he doesn't have to do much editing, your <laughs> listener. Yeah, that was untouched. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. All right, well, thank you very much, yeah. Miss Alexander Bohannon. Dalton Stewart, let's get you done with. Uh, <laughs> Put you out to pasture, baby. <laughs> Are you fired up this week? Ah, a little bit. Um, I finally got to catch up with uh, an indie film that's streaming on Netflix currently called Blue Ruin. Uh, it's It's had a lot of buzz around it. Um, for those of you not in the know, it was actually... Almost entirely crowdsourced, if not entirely. I know they got a large chunk of their funding from Kickstarter, and they actually thank their some of the biggest donors uh, in the credits, and then actually mention Kickstarter uh, by name. But but all I'll say because I, I really feel like going into this film cold is extremely valuable. All I will say is, is that it is a subversion of sorts of, of the revenge thriller genre. Um, I liked it a lot. Uh, it is streaming on Netflix uh, currently, like I said. What's the title again? Blue Ruin. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, I, I liked it a, a very great deal. And I'll say no more other than that I definitely think you should check it out. Uh, and that maybe I'll, I'll mention it again when we get around to year-end lists, because I, I think I liked it that much. 
Really, other than that, uh, not particularly playing a lot of the same video games I've been talking about, but one that I just started playing that I haven't talked about yet uh, is Telltale Games' uh, first episode in their uh, Game of Thrones series. Um, thanks to Caleb Masters, because I saw on my PlayStation account that he had just downloaded it, and I was like, I didn't even know that was out! And for those of you who listen frequently, you know I like Game of Thrones a whole heck of a lot. So I, I just started playing that, and I, I think it's fabulous. I think it captures the, the tone of the show really well and continues to, to do what the, the Telltale guys uh, and gals have been doing so well for so long, uh, and that is really create these very engrossing interactive stories, uh, usually based on some of the you know the properties you love and, and would like to interact with, like The Walking Dead and the, uh, the Vertigo comic series Fables, um, and now Game of Thrones. So... It's a lot of fun. What exactly is Telltale? Telltale. No, game. I don't actually care. <laughs> Callback. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you now. So, that made me so happy. I actually already knew. Yeah, you. I know you already knew because I said it at the beginning, and I was just like, "Oh, I get a chance to mansplain." Whoa, what are you gonna do it? You put me in my place. Good job. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? Um, no, no, not really. Uh, there's one little thing I'll mention. Um, there is a film franchise that in recent years I have become a bit of a fan of. Not avid or crazy, but I, I do enjoy the movies because uh, the value has gone up quite a bit in recent years. And so um, when one blonde man was uh, absurdly cast to play this iconic character people cried but he has turned it into uh, a very very powerful role and so the announced title and poster for uh, Bond 24 has been revealed and we will be looking at Spectre James Bond will be returning in Spectre starring Christoph Waltz and and Dave Bautista and Monica Bellucci Monica Bellucci hopefully not in a nine minute torturous scene please no thank you irreversible grody but uh yeah we've got uh we've got mr mendez coming back uh daniel craig has apparently said that the script is better than skyfall um and i'm pretty hyped because skyfall i mean what's he gonna do say no shit (laughs) well i think i think craig's the kind of guy that would speak his mind that's a good point but uh he's one of the first ones to tell you it's quantum assault isn't that great that's that's bone hey not everybody's perfect but uh, Casino Royale and Skyfall are phenomenal uh, movies that have saved a franchise, and so mm-hmm. I am I am totes excited for a James Bond film, and I don't know that I would ever ever said that before. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Speaking of Mr. Daniel Craig, I this last week got the opportunity to take a look at Dreamhouse, um, featuring him and Naomi Watts and others, and uh, I will say... Um, don't you mean Rachel Weisz? No. Correct. Yeah. Rachel, Rachel Weiss. Weiss. It's his, his his now wife, Rachel Weiss. Mm-hmm. The blonde lady? Oh, maybe. Is the blonde lady's name. Oh, okay. Naomi Watts is in it, too? Yeah, no, I, did, I was less impressed with her. Um, That's valid. I just like Rachel Weiss a lot. Yeah, um, so I was like, I was very confused for a moment there. But it's a, it's a, it's a psychological thriller. There's sort of a supernatural element in it. Um, it definitely, it's a, one of those uh, avoid spoilers kind of movies, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Uh, but the twists are very fun. And it would be a movie that you'd want to watch again. You know, there are some movies with a twist that you never want to look at again because you're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, this is one of those movies with a twist. You're like, oh, and now I want to see how they planted it. And so um, it's on Netflix currently streaming. So I recommend really? the Dream House. I heard to a lot of. I, I heard mostly bad 
mixed to bad things about it. I, well, you know, I don't know. You I wasn't. It? I saw it, and I wasn't. I mean, I saw it in theaters. I wasn't offended that I went and saw it in theaters, but I wasn't blown away. But I, I enjoyed it. I, it didn't blow me away. I like Daniel I, Craig. I thought it was a fun little thriller. I have mm-hmm. to check it out. And I, I, uh, I recalled something uh, about the some of the twists from uh, a Hitchcock class that we took mm-hmm. uh, because the way some of these scenes are set up in the beginning. But it's, it is very enjoyable. I might have to check that out. I, I make a habit of watching movies I don't wouldn't normally give time to on Sundays. So, and in the uh, post, um, you know, Black Friday carnage, I happened to find myself in a large department box chain store, and uh, there was a uh, bin of DVDs for a very inexpensive price. And I have um, sitting on my shelf now a copy of The Rover, um, starring um, Edward the Vampire, and also um, uh, a man who um, has terrible amnesia. Um, not actually true, but uh, it's it, I, like I said, I don't know a whole lot about it. I know it was very, very well reviewed at Cannes uh, this last spring, and so I'm very, very excited to take a look at that. But that's not the things I'm most fired up about. I'm actually fired up about um, announcements uh, currently in uh, the uh, comic cinematic adaptation world. Um, Benedict um, Cucumber Patch is um, going to uh, be starring as Doctor Strange. I have to say that is the most fun game you can play with someone's name. Have you played the Benedict Cumberbatch game? Do you mean Biscuit uh, Crankle Snatch? Yes, that game. Yeah, um, I will play that with like three different friends. We just send those texts back and forth to each other. Cucumber Pick Humble Snatch. There's so many that get really into not safe for work territory. I just don't want to <laughs> voice them. Oh, do you mean uh, do you mean Boulevard uh, Crinkle Crop? What? Bendy <laughs> Dick Cukerdill. <laughs> very good. All right. Well, moving right along. I'm very excited that there's going to be a Doctor Strange movie, and uh, I'm also uh, very excited about the Sinister Six announcements, and there's a whole lot been said about those things already, but the thing that really has me fired up about about that is that Enchantress is going to be one of the characters. Sinister Six. I said Sinister Six. I meant to say Suicide Squad. I knew Suicide Squad. I was going to correct you. Yeah, that's that's Spider-Man's whatever. But, uh, no, uh, Suicide Squad and uh, Enchantress, which is this sort of dark magic uh, level of uh, of characters, and I really, really want some sort of Justice League dark film, an R rated Justice League dark film. Please, DC Warner Brothers, make it happen. Well, speaking of uh, Fury, which um, Shane Arrington asked about earlier, it's directed by David Ayer, who uh, either makes really, really good movies or really awesomely bad movies, like Street Kings and Sabotage, which both of which are very bad but very watchable. So, at the very least, it's going to be watchable, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm excited about it, and I'm excited about those possibilities. Even though I am suffering from a little superhero fatigue, and I've said this before, yes. and I'll say it again, um, but that development is at least perhaps something different within all that. Well, that leads us into next week's pick quite nicely, uh, because, ladies and gentlemen, we will be going back to the early 90s, when Joe Johnston made his uh, spiritual prequel to Captain America with Disney's The Rocketeer, you know I'm okay with that. I really am. That's that. That'll be that'll be fantastic. I'm excited to see Good that pick, again. Good pick, Arthur. I've never seen or heard of this movie before. It's got uh, James Bond in it. Pierce Brosnan, Timothy, Timothy Dalton. Dalton. Oh, okay. He's as, a slasher as a villain of prices. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty rad. I, I like I like that movie a lot. So that's going to be very very good times. I remember a great many hours spent played a Super Nintendo version 
of yep. the Rocketeer. And so uh, good times. Um, back when I was a child and played video games. But we move on. Oh, and... was that like a little dig there? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, we move on. I know who I am. To the end of the show, dear listener. We hope you've had a good time. We hope you've laughed with us. And, you know, what's great about cinema is that it is absolutely entertaining that you laugh, that you cry, that you become angry, that your emotions are evoked. But also the gray matter, your head meat, can also be stimulated. So that's really what we want to seek to do is both of those things with this show. And in the meantime, as you're looking at the Rocketeer in preparation for next week. Uh, watch any movie with somebody you care about. Laugh, cry, get angry, hit somebody. Um, Dalton, please. And in the process, have a intelligent conversation. And until then, we'll see you next time. Dragon's balls blazed in his eyes. I stepped into his cave and I sliced his fucking cockles with my long and shiny blade. Twas I who fucked the dragon, fuck a lie, sing fuck a loo. And if you try to fuck with me, then I shall fuck you too. I thought it was interesting, you can cut this or leave it, I don't care, that Arthur compared this movie to drinking a wine, and then whenever you were talking about how you should enjoy it with friends, I was thinking, gosh, it's not so much a wine as it is a kegger. Like, you need to yeah. enjoy it with, like, a, a bunch of beer and a bunch of friends that are talking really loudly all over each other when you quote this movie, and it makes it more enjoyable. That's probably fair. It's the absurdity of it all. Well, the rails have been left. Uh, we're going. Wait. Do you think he means old Ben Kenobi? <laughs> yeah. Woo! Foreshadowing for our game. <laughs>